Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. The establishments on both sides cannot stand you. And it's evident. It is so clear. You can see it on just about any cable news network. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. The most recent clip, which you probably have seen everywhere, um, you're going to get the typical takes that this is the people that are on the elitist side of the aisle, whether it's on the GOP establishment or it's the progressive DNC hacks. You're going to see them go on and say, well, this is what they think about flyover country and this is what they think about you. And yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. And that's on the surface. But I think when you get into the deep uh, affiliations with who's behind it all, you start to get to a point where you're going, okay, uh, there's a reason why these people are acting the way that they are. And it's not just because they're elitist and it's not just because they're in some political you know, class. There's other money behind it. There's other affiliations behind it. Things that are pushing for agendas that are not in line with what you and I as just average citizens who want freedom and liberty, what we want. So listen to this clip with Rick Wilson. This guy is your Evan McMuffin, head McMuffin uh, consultant. He's your Bill Crystal bulwark type. Um, he's there with this guy, Wahajat Ali. He's some CNN contributor, which we'll get into him here in just a moment. And also everybody's favorite, Don Lemon. <laughs> Don the Sour Lemon. Yeah, listen to them have a discussion about, you know, who the Trump supporters are. And it, obviously it's false. And look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump. Um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one and they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. You, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my path and your reading. Yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. All those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. Sorry, I apologize. But by, but by the way, oh my god! But, but you know what? But, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but, but in all honesty, but all, blame you know what Rick. NPR should Why do? Why not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can yeah, I tell give you what, me a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, Rick. You, that you, was a good one. I needed that. I think the really telling part is the fact that it's not even funny. The joke that they said is not even funny. There's no humor to it. It was really lame. You've got Rick Wilson up there going, well, they don't they don't even know where Ukraine is. You could put a U and a crane next to it, and everybody's cackling like it's the funniest thing in the world. He might as well turn around and said, all those flyover country people probably call it y'all crane. You know, what's going on in y'all crane? That's how ridiculous this guy is. And one of the things that you have to realize is he, he has been this way 
even before Trump came into uh, came into being as far as a, as a force within the GOP. But so they're having this little laugh over something that's ridiculous, not even funny. And it was funny that John Miller from the uh, Washington Brief podcast, he's on the blaze. He summed it up and said, are Don Lemon, who's plummeted to the lowest primetime viewership in almost three years, Rick Wilson, a failed Evan McMuffin stooge and some Muslim American I've never heard of really in a position to be laughing at anyone? Well, this guy, Wahajat Ali, decided to make light of that by changing his screen name on Twitter to some Muslim I've never heard of. Well, this guy is concerned for his safety now. He tweeted, Trump tweeted our CNN clip from two days ago. Friends are now concerned about my safety. I refuse to be intimidated and bullied by bad faith actors who cry fake victimhood, whining about their harmless, silly 30-second clip while endorsing Trump a cruel vulgarian who debases everyone well who is that who is this some muslim guy wahajad ali he's pakistani and he's an american attorney and consultant who has worked for the u.s state department well isn't that funny that's the u.s state department that was flipping regimes all across the world under the uh obama administration with hillary clinton as secretary of state and then followed up by john Kerry as secretary of state helping uh, flip these uh, countries through supporting revolutionaries in conjunction with George Soros NGOs all around the world. Hmm. Why would he have a bad opinion of Donald Trump? <laughs> really? I mean, apparently he's married to Sarah Kershey. She's a physician and almost and also a human rights advocate. Well, wow, look at that. So going back to Ali, he was a consultant for the U.S. State Department. Not only that, he helped launch the Al Jazeera America Network as co-host of Al Jazeera America's The Stream, a daily news show that extended the conversation to social media and beyond. Hmm, Al Jazeera? <laughs> they have a storied past. He was also a national cor uh, correspondent, political reporter, and social media expert for Al Jazeera America. He focused on stories of communities and individuals often marginalized or underreported in the mainstream media. He's also the author of The Domestic Crusaders, which is a major play. He's like a playwright or something for a story about Muslim Americans post 9-11. So what about Al Jazeera? <clears throat> well, there's a nation that uh, Al Jazeera is supported by, and they are the terrorist propaganda network. Al Jazeera, this is from uh, the investigativeproject.org. Al Jazeera's support for terrorism goes far beyond on-air cheerleading. Many of its employees have actively supported al-Qaeda, Hamas, other terrorist groups. Concerns over the network's consistent pro-terrorist positions prompted several Gulf states to determine that Qatar was behind it. And Qatar actually shut it down in June. Sheikh uh, Saeed bin Ahmad al-Tahimi, director of Qatar's Government Information Office, called such demands a condescending view that demonstrates contempt for the intelligence and judgment of the people of the Middle East who overwhelmingly chose to get their news from Al Jazeera rather than from state-run broadcasters. But a week earlier, the United Arab Emirates Minister of State and Foreign Affairs, Anwar Garush, detailed Al Jazeera's connections to terrorist networks and terror incitement in a letter to the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, 
Al Jazeera violates the 2005 UN Security Council resolution that called on member states to counter incitement to terrorist acts involved and motivated by extremism. The network has given platform to terrorists like Osama bin Laden, Hamas leaders Khalid, Mashil, and plenty of other people involved with Hezbollah. But Al Jazeera is deeply connected to Qatar. And, you know, I mean, what does this say? What does this say about some Muslim guy, Wahajat Ali, Rick Wilson, and now even John Bolton, the guy who's peddling his new book and just going to get up there and, and talk about his time in the Trump White House during the impeachment process. He wants to be a witness. Well, they're all related to Cutter. In fact, Rick Wilson and John Bolton, I call the Doha brothers because they seem to be thrilled with spending time in Doha. In fact, this is from Jordan Schachtel. He uh, is with Conservative Review. This is back in December of 2018. Never Trump's new base of operations, Cutter. Prominent Never Trump publications are shuddering while pseudo-conservative commentators are struggling to find funds from wealthy backers for their influence campaigns. With the rea uh, reality setting in that domestic dollars are becoming harder and harder to find, it appears that the Never Trump movement may be pivoting overseas. GOP media guy Rick Wilson, who has made a name for himself on liberal networks as the Trump-obsessed media pundit, attended the Doha Forum in Qatar this weekend alongside other establishment Republican voices and a delegation of congressional Democrats. Wilson had nothing but great things to say about the annual Qatari conference, which was populated by the who's who of extremist voices and representatives from terrorist states. In several tweets, Wilson sang the praises of Qatar. Nowhere did he mention the nation's overt support for several terrorist groups, its siding with America's enemies, and its use of slave labor to run their domestic economy. Rick Wilson said, it's been a real pleasure attending the Doha Forum this year. Qatar is a stunning, vibrant nation. The annual Doha Forum, fantastic conference. And, and then he tweets, I'm in Qatar for less than 24 hours. I'm already wanting to take up falconry. Doha is a science fiction city. Beautiful, new sprung, built to wow. It revels in its modernity. Since returning to the United States, Rick Wilson has thus far refused to answer questions from conservative writers and pundits about who paid for his trip and whether anything was expected of him. Also on hand for the Doha Forum was former RNC chairman Michael Steele. Wow, really? That's an establishment hack. Who, like Wilson, regularly goes on liberal networks to act as the supposedly Republican voice who bashes the president. And he's got a picture of him at the Doha Forum. Michael Steele. Not everybody at the forum is militantly opposed to the president, though other uh, influential Republican operatives at the Doha former, uh, Forum included former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer and former California GOP Chairman Ron Neering. Cutter has made a concerted effort to recruit both anti-Trump and pro-Trump Republicans to help boost re uh, relations with the right. After President Trump's inauguration, Doha shelled out millions of dollars in an attempt to improve its image with people connected to the president. In doing so, Qatar sought to protect its extremist domestic and foreign policy quo. Conservative Review reported on the clandestine weekend trip that six congressional Democrat representatives took to the Gulf nation. 
while in Doha, they met with the current emir of Qatar, who rules the country. Interesting. So you've got that going on, and then you got the fact that there's video footage of John Bolton strolling around in Doha, and there's some questions that have arisen about that because he was very critical of the Qatari government back in 2017 and even earlier, although he had a change of tune. And Jordan Schachtel talks about this in a tweet thread. He said, speaking of John Bolton, has anyone ever figured out what he's doing in Doha recently? After John Bolton's ghostwriter finished his book, former NSA took clandestine trips to Qatar. We only know of this because a video on the internet surfaced of him in Doha, and spooks have called it, quote, personal business. We have no idea what brought Bolton to Doha at the height of the impeachment fiasco. What's interesting is that Bolton once took a critical line on Qatar. In 2017, he wrote an article in the Pittsburgh Tribune Review that was somewhat tough on Al Jazeera and the Qatari former, uh, the Qatari royal family's support for incitement. What's changed? In 2019, Bolton got cozy with the Qataris. They scored regular meetings with the National Security Advisor through high-ranking Qatari officials and U.S.-based foreign agents of Qatar. In fact, back in April 25th of 2019, John Bolton tweeted, Today, I had the pleasure of meeting Mohammed bin Abdurman bin Jassim, and well, whatever. <laughs> he is the Qatari Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Foreign Affairs. We are working closely with the Qataris to solve problems and counter malign influence throughout the Middle East and North Africa. Jordan Schachtel goes on to say, and here's the Farah record from the Qatari foreign agent meeting with Bolton. Basically, it has State of Qatar, May, 5th, uh, May 10th, 2019. It's a meeting. John Bolton, National Security Advisor, staff at the Office of the White House Counsel, and Qatar's legal and equitable position with respect to the blockade was listed as the reason for the meeting. There are zero reports from the Qatar-based media outlets on Bolton's visit. It's definitely a, a departure from the norm in which Doha celebrates arrival of current and former U.S. officials. Bolton's team also prefers to keep it secret. Why did both sides keep it that way anyways? I don't know. But Bolton's got business in Qatar. So does Rick Wilson, and so does Michael Steele, and so does Wahajit Ali, and they all can't stand Donald Trump. And so now we're on this whole thing, the, the cycle of, I've got the goods on Trump, and I'm going to make it known. You know, the Michael Wolf, Michael Avenatti, Michael Cohen playbook. John Bolton should have just changed his name to Michael. Oh, wait a minute. Michael Bolton. That wouldn't work out too well. But <clears throat> lots of people are trying to peddle books while using the information that they claim to have on the POTUS, you know, to gin up the sales. You know, James Comey, again, Michael Wolf. Remember that? It, it was a phenomenon that's been going on. Even Rising Spirit on Twitter actually brought this back up. CBS on the forefront of breaking the Omarosa story. Remember, she had all this dirt on what's going on in the White House. Her book is published by Simon & Schuster. Guess who owns Simon & Schuster? That's right, CBS. So this is just another hack job. This is another attempt to start to build narratives off of book sales, try to say that there were shady dealings with some Ukrainian phone call, which we know that Ukraine was so corrupt that Trump wanted to find out whether or not 
the Obama administration forced them into dropping any sort of investigations and wanted to find out whether or not that corruption has been attacked and even quelled before handing over any sort of aid to that nation. And that's being turned into this impeachment fiasco. And that's being basically the fulcrum of why they're trying to remove him from office. Because what do all these people have in common? They're making money off of off of uh, whatever shady dealings that are happening in Ukraine. A lot of people think the State Department was involved with that. And the State Department also has members who have some sort of ties to Qatar. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. And one final note that I have for you, because this is personally important to me to address this, okay? Anyone, ask anyone who knows me, they'll tell you. I don't believe in belittling people, belittling anyone for who they are, for what they believe, or where they're from. During an interview on Saturday night, one of my guests said something that made me laugh. And while in the moment I found that joke humorous, and I didn't catch everything that was said, just to make this perfectly clear, I was laughing at the joke and not at any group of people. So that's Don Lemon apologizing, doing the lemon dance. You know, the funny thing about that apology is the whole time he's sitting there going, well, I wasn't laughing because they were calling you rubes and plebes and deplorables and everything else. I was laughing because of the initial joke. You know, I mean, come on, you and a picture of a crane, you crane. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, oh. And so he thinks that he's going to be able to draft this apology where, well, you know, I only laugh because the joke was funny, not because I'm laughing at you. You know, I'm I'm laughing with Rick Wilson, but not at you. But I don't know. I can't buy it because your freaking head was bouncing off the news desk. Yeah, you may not have heard the little drop-ins of rubes and and plebes and and things like that when your skull was resonating off the desk rattling the coffee mugs with the logos on it but i don't know i think it was pretty clear when you went back to maps and lines and all of that stuff that the laughter that continued was probably you laughing at the fact that somebody was making this statement and making this premise of the hillbilly, uneducated idiots that would vote for somebody like Donald Trump. Now, this is probably why he gave the apology. Because the GOP, (laughs) thank God there's people that are now involved in the uh, GOP framework for campaigning that would take this ad and use it to their advantage. Check out the campaign ad they just put out, which is most likely why we're seeing this pseudo-apology from Don Lemon. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane (laughs) next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an an administration defined by ignorance of the world. You could put half of Trump's supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. And so that's partly him playing to their base. Anyone who supported this president is, at best, uh, looking the other way on racism, at best. 
you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump, um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's a smart one and they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> Trump always loves the, the low information guy. You elite us with your geography and your maps. Issue of, of racism across the country because that, that's his base. Your math and you're, your reading. Yeah, you're reading, <laughs> you know, your geography, no other country. So basically Don Lemon and Rick Wilson just gave the GOP their campaign video. Unbelievable. And I love what Sean Davis from The Federalist said. He said, this is probably the one successful campaign video campaign ad that Rick Wilson has ever been a part of for the GOP because he's a GOP strategist that can never get anybody to win. So um, you've got this little video, which basically works in favor of the GOP. And the reason why it's so effective is because at the very end of it, after they show all these different clips of what the Democrats and the Republican establishment really think of you as a Trump voter, they get to a point where they show at the very end, they think you're a joke in big, bold letters. That's going to resonate. Whether or not some people believe that this is the deplorables moment or not, um, I think people have been so fed up with the media, so fed up with the establishment so fed up with the progressives and the whatever's left of the Democrat Party that you're now seeing this facilitate and culminate into one entity that the general public or a good majority of them cannot stand. And of course, CNN is at the forefront of it all. And again, we talked about Wahajad Ali and his affiliations with the State Department and Al Jazeera, which is funded by Qatar. And uh, you get into finding out more of these people, Rick Wilson, John Bolton, they all have affiliations with Cutter, news organizations, the Brookings Institute, what have you. You find out there's some other interesting things about Cutter. One of them is that, and this is from Conservative Review. Again, Jordan Schachtel was the one who was all over the Cutter ties. No one else has really been talking about it. Um, many of CNN's national security analysts have undisclosed ties to the oppressive Qatari regime. Several of the so-called national security experts at CNN that you see on television every night have direct links to the nation, uh, uh, the nation of Qatar, a terror-funding Islamist enclave in the Middle East that has placed itself on the warpath against America's most important regional allies. But you'd never know this if you watched CNN you would never know about the connections um, because none of CNN's regulars disclose their financial or institutional ties to Cutter when they appear on the airwaves. And off air, they also are not forthcoming about their Cutter back connections. When it comes to the discussing issues uh, where they have a clear conflict of interest, such as commenting on Israel, Saudi Arabia, the UAE affairs, uh, these CNN regulars have no issue going to bat against Cutter's rivals, while never mentioning that their editorial freedom is restricted or that they are personally compromised because they're enriched by Cutter. So one of the things you have to realize is that was the whole crux of the Jamal Khashoggi incident. If you remember, Jamal Khashoggi was this guy who uh, the Saudi government was not really big on. And he is a pro-Islamist, uh, pro-Cutter, 
pro uh, Al Qaeda individual who did some writing for the Washington Post. And he came into the U.S. embassy or the, the embassy in Saudi Arabia. I think it was the Turkish embassy in Saudi Arabia. And the Saudis came in, or no, it was in Turkey. It was the Saudi embassy in Turkey. And the Saudis flew in. Some say it was uh, MSB, you know, uh, Mohammed bin Salam or whatever, the, the, the Saudi prince, the new Saudi prince that's secularizing the world in, uh, in as far as Saudi Arabia goes. They flew in. Next thing you know, they walk out with, with different sacks of luggage. And we come to find out that this guy was murdered and he was cut up and put into bags and carried out. Now, we don't know if it was the Saudi prince or if it was the Wahhabis that did it. But we find out that Khashoggi was a Qatari asset. This is from the Clarion Project. It has now emerged that Jamal Khashoggi, who was murdered at the hands of the Saudis, was a Qatari asset, most likely being paid and handed by or handled by Maggie Mitchell Salem, an executive at the Qatari Foundation Insta- or International. In the days following the disappearance of Khashoggi, the Saudi native was billed as an unflinching proponent of democracy, a Washington Post journalist who, to his own peril, was exposing the truth about the terrible human rights abuses by the Saudi government. And while this narrative was being spun by Saudi rivals Turkey and Qatar, which we now know was working behind the scenes in the days after the murder, the Obama-era echo chamber was being revved up by them to deter- undetermine or undermine, actually, the stability of the Saudi government itself. That echo chamber, dubbed as such by Obama's National Security Council Communications Director Ben Rhodes, was famously exploited by Ben Rhodes to support both Obama's engagement with the Iranians, culminating in the controversial Iran deal, as well as Obama's shift towards the Sunni Islamist in Egypt and their former president, Mohamed Morsi of the Muslim Brotherhood, and away from the former uh, Sunni allies, most prominently Saudi Arabia. When complete, uh, complete, the successful information operation would depict Jamal Khashoggi a heroic martyr to the independent journalism and freedom, while Saudi Arabia would be the embodiment of evil and callousness, writes the uh, Security Studies Group, an Australian think tank, which adds, it is clear now that not only was Khashoggi transmorgified into death into a major front in Qatar's war on its Gulf neighbors in life, he was Qatar's asset in that war as well. Interestingly enough, Qatar has been making strides with ties alongside of Iran. And you know how the Obama administration loved them some Iranian people. They loved some Iran. They loved some Ayatollah Khomeini. Well, that's the interesting part. The sanctions, if you remember, everybody suddenly put sanctions on Qatar, including shutting down Al Jazeera at one point. This was a couple of years ago. And those sanctions economically were crippling Qatar. And Qatar's royal family, by the way, is not a fan of the Saudi royal family. There's a little bit of odds going on. But that crippled Qatar and the Qatar, uh, Qatari royal family to which they started siding up and with an alliance with Iran. So you see now that CNN has tons of uh, analysts who are very sympathetic to Qatar. You see now that the guy who was a part of ripping on Donald Trump on CNN 
was related to Qatar, you see that the GOP, the GOP consultant, Rick Wilson, has business in Qatar. And we talked about how John Bolton has business in Qatar. Other GOP members do too. So don't look at it as just Democrat versus Republican. This from Conservative Review, going back to 2019 of March, South Carolina is becoming home to a quiet Qatari military aircraft project. <sighs> Unbelievable. This, this nation, with international ties to terrorist organizations, has commenced a massive but under-the-radar spending spree in South Carolina through Barzan Aeronautical. That's the name of the company. A subsidiary of the Qatar Defense Ministry controlled Barzan Holdings, Doha, which is in Qatar, has targeted South Carolina as the location for a major military aircraft initiative. The state is home to several Qatari-friendly politicians and defense industry heavyweights. Senator Lindsey Graham has held several face-to-face -face meetings with the high-ranking delegations from the 320 billion Qatari Investment Authority, the QIA, which has pledged to invest billions to the state over the past couple of years, Graham has emerged as one of the major pro-cutter voices in the Senate. He routinely takes to television and other media platforms to repudiate Cutter's regional adversaries while bolstering its allies. The top donor to South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster's recent successful gubernatorial campaign is a major Qatari lobbyist. Between 2007 and 2018, Imad Zaburi a lobbyist who represents the ultra-wealthy QIA, shelled out over 50000 for McMaster's campaign, according to campaign finance reports. Zubery told associates that his donations to Republicans were a way to pay for further access to politicians, according to the New York Times. Even on the local level, the mayor of Charleston, which is home to a major Boeing plant, is also friend to the Gulf state. He has signed a declaration of understanding to encourage economic development, cultural and environmental cooperation between Charleston and Doha, Qatar's capital city, after meeting with the Qatari investment officials, Post and The Courier reported. So we see that there's ties with the GOP in Qatar. I mean, it's unbelievable. And then when you get into uh, Mr. Ali, Wahajat Ali's affiliations with the State Department as a consultant that he says, and we talked about how the State Department has been out there under the Clinton, uh, under Clinton's uh, management, under John Kerry's management, flipping regimes by, by emboldening revolutionaries in those countries and then backing them with weapons and putting them in support with uh, George Soros NGOs. You get to this little article that we found in the New York Post back in 2014. How the Taliban got their hands on modern U.S. missiles. The Obama administration isn't only giving the Taliban its commanders, it's giving them back their weapons. Because this was actually around the time of the Bo Bergdog trade-off. Remember, we got this guy who was a deserter from the United States, joined the Taliban, and they said, oh, he was just captured by the Taliban. Well, we got him back. And Obama decided to uh, pray or to allow them to pray in Arabic in the, in the Rose Garden. And in exchange for this deserter, this treasonous deserter, we get we give back five Taliban members. Well, we also gave them Stinger missiles. 
Military records and sources reveal that on July 25, 2012, Taliban fighters in Kunar province successfully targeted a U.S. Army helicopter with a new generation Stinger missile. Well, the assault team noticed the missile, and that's where everything kind of came to a head. They were like, uh, I can't believe this missile was what they used to take down one of our own helicopters. Lodged in the right part of the missile, they found a fragment that contained an entire serial number. And the investigation took time. Arms were twisted, nose pulled out of joint. But when the results came back, they were stunning. The stinger tracked back to a lot that had been signed out by the CIA recently, not during the anti-Soviet jihad. Reports of the Stinger missile reached the highest echelons of the U.S. command in Afghanistan and became a source of intense speculation, but no action. This is what they say in the New York Post. My sources in the U.S. special operations community believe that the Stinger fired against the Chinook helicopter was part of the same lot the CIA turned over to the Qataris in 2011. Weapons Hillary Rodham Clinton's State Department intended for anti-Qaddafi forces in Libya. So the guy who's up there, now I don't know how directly involved he is, but if he's a consultant for the State Department and he's also somebody who is a part of the creation of Al Jazeera America, which is Qatar, Qatari propaganda, um... And he was there with Hillary Clinton. It's good, good bet to say that he probably has a good working knowledge of everything that's going on. And we come to find out that John Bolton, he also has additional problems. Come to find out that George W. Bush blasted him in 2008 from the Federalist. He said, I don't consider Bolton credible. Now, this is the same guy that flipped on Cutter. And he's the guy who's heading up, taking out Trump. So we don't know whether or not this guy was positioned in such a way to go in because we've always heard, oh, John Bolton is this this pillar of just conservatism. And it would be crazy to think he would be somebody that would flip on Trump and flip on the GOP or or be paid off by Cutter and or to be involved in the deep state. But looks like George W. Bush wasn't a big fan of him either. In 2008, George W. Bush bitterly recounted his decision to hire Bolton over the objections of the Senate at the time. In 2005, Bush recessed appointed Bolton had his, as his top envoy to the United Nations after it became clear he would not win the Senate confirmation. Let me say from the outset that I don't consider Bolton credible, Bush reportedly told an assembled group of political writers. Bolton was one of the primary proponents of the claim that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction requiring a ground invasion and regime change by U.S. troops. We are confident that Saddam Hussein has hidden weapons of mass destruction and production facilities in Iraq back in 2002. So somehow this guy was pushed to the front of the line with George W. Bush and pushed back to the front of the line with, uh, with President Trump. And now he's flipping on him. Never mind the fact that President Trump, uh, or actually uh, Bolton, while he was with President Trump, received money from Victor Pinchuk. And Victor Pinchuk is the guy from the Ukraine who is teamed up with the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation and, the, and Hillary Clinton's campaign to cause all of this uh, Ukrainian collusion, Russian collusion BS. So realize what you're seeing is an inter connected web 
of interest. Ukraine, oligarchs in Ukraine that are paying off people. You've got Qatar paying off different countries trying to facilitate their desires, but it's all enriching people in our body politic. And these people are enriching their families, and they're doing so at the expense of national security and the expense of our sovereignty. Now, we're going to end this up on a light note because I have a special message from another rich politician running for the Democrat Party, Michael Bloomberg. Where's my ice cream? Ah, thank you. Hmm. Big gay ice cream is the best. I don't really know what to say. Michael Bloomberg likes the gay ice cream. I guess he doesn't like he's going to regulate the salt out of it. Uh, the calorie count on the proteins probably need to be looked at. <laughs> and uh, wow, um, he's probably going to want to get rid of the sugar from it, too. You know, it's not going to taste as well. I, I don't know what's going on with this guy. I mean, during the debates, during the DNC nomination debates, he had a picture of his face on a couple of meatballs. And he tweeted out saying, hey, find Michael Bloomberg's face on the meatball. I, I, I don't know what this guy's doing. It's really horrible attempts at, let me drink me a beer like Elizabeth Warren and other Instagram influencer ideas. I guess they think, hey, it doesn't matter if you put out the most cringiest video. It'll go viral because either people will mock it. I, I don't even know if it's a parody account. It's under Bloomberg 2020's Twitter page. But, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's shaking the snouts of pooches. And then he's talking about loving him some gay ice cream. He loves that gay cream. I, I don't know. So we're going to follow that as this clown show goes on as well. I'm Adrian Slate. Thanks for tuning in. We're recording in a different kind of fashion right now. We're still working the bugs out, so thanks for bearing with us. It might be not as slick sounding right now in the beginning, but we're working out logistics in, in the podcast. But you can listen to the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, uh, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. You can also check out the podcast on the Roku streaming channel. Download the Adrian Slade Show on your local, uh, Roku streaming store. You can also uh, email the program at adrianslade-show at gmail.com. Follow on Twitter at Rants Out Loud is my main page. Also at Adrian Slade Show on Twitter. And you can also find us on Parlor, Facebook, MeWe. Wherever we are on the socials, we're there. So we'll see you guys next time.